For movie lovers, it's that time of year again, the Oscars, and my guest today loves movies just as much as I do. He's here to talk about his new book, celebrating the annual Hollywood event. Time to meet him. Up next starts now. Hello everyone, I'm John Contratti and welcome to Up Next. My guest today is host and interviewer on Turner Classic Movies and entertainment correspondent for the Today Show and now author. His new book is 50 Oscar Nights, Iconic Stars and Filmmakers on Their Career-Defining Wins. Please welcome to the show or back to the show, Dave Carger. Hey John, great to see you. I love that my book is behind you uh, next to Henry Winkler. Good old Very Henry cool. Good old Henry Winkler, known, known the man for 25 years. It's another great book. But we're going to talk about your book and we're going to talk about the Oscars. So thinking back, at what age can you remember discovering the Oscars? I was 11. It was the 1985 Oscars. I don't know why I came across the ceremony, but I remember several things about it. I remember that Hang S. Noor won for Best Supporting Actor for The Killing Fields. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what the movie was. But I have a visual, a memory of him up there winning. The Harvey Milk documentary won that year. I remember thinking as an 11-year-old that it was funny that a guy's name was Milk. Um, didn't know who Harvey Milk was. Of course, I do now. And then I remember I was a big music fan, and I remember the Phil Collins song, Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now, was nominated. And he was there in the audience, but some other woman, it was Anne Ranking, fabulous Broadway actress, sang the song instead. I remember thinking, why is she singing it? <laughs> Phil Collins was right there. Uh, so yeah, I, it was just something about the Oscars that kind of captured me. And it was the, the celebratory aspect of it, the ceremony of it, the competition of it, I think really intrigued me, just everything. And it was just as I was kind of falling in love with movies, uh, you know, like the John Hughes movies, which were the 80s movies that I really loved as a kid. So I think the whole confluence of the whole thing started me off on my obsession with the Oscars, which has now lasted 40 years. I remember it on Monday nights. It would go on at 10 p.m. Eastern time and not end until 1 a.m. And my parents would allow me to, they were watching it as well. So they allowed me to watch it and I'd go to school the next day and mostly None of the other kids really were up watching the Oscars. Maybe one or two knew, you know, what I was watching the night before. I love that. Your book, how did it come to be? It's How long of a process was putting this book together? I pitched it to TCM and uh, Running Press, which is the book publisher that we have an arrangement with at TCM. They publish about three or four TCM branded books every year. Pitched it two years ago. And I thought it was like, they were interested in having me write a TCM book. I liked the idea of writing one. I was just trying to think of a concept that would be fun to do. Um, and I do love interviewing people and I love the Oscars. And I didn't feel like I had seen a book like this, an Oscar book that told the personal stories firsthand from the people who won the awards. And my hope was that it was going to be a book that really brought out some interesting emotional personal, intimate stories, which I think it did. Um, once it was approved, it took seven months to do the whole thing, seven months to reach out to the 50 people in the book, to schedule the interviews, to do the interviews, to and to kind of edit them down and write. So each chapter, as you know, is four or six pages, starts off with an introduction, 
kind of very entertainment weekly style, which is where I used to work, um, kind of teeing up the rest of the chapter, which is the interview. So that process was seven months long. And I handed the book in about a year ago. And then it was funny because I'm used to my background, as I said, is writing for Entertainment Weekly, where you would close an article on a Tuesday and it would come out on a Thursday. And now it was a very strange process to have finished this book essentially a year ago, but then it had to go through all the processes, you know, finding the photos, the editing, the copy editing, the fact checking, and the actual printing of the book. Um, so I'm just so happy it exists and it's finally out in, you know, physical form. And um, I'm really excited that people seem to be enjoying it. You have 50 people. How many people did you put on a list to get those 50? Oh, I had a big wish list, a big, big wish list of people. And it was always changing. And I have to give my editor, Cindy Sapala, credit because when I sent her my first wish list, which was 50 stars, just star, star, stars, which was great. She said, this is great, a great list. But she really encouraged me to uh, include a half dozen or so people that the readership might not be that familiar with, people who are costume designers, production designers, documentary filmmakers, writers. So um, I'm so glad I listened to her on that because some of my favorite chapters are people in the book who readers might not have heard of, sound designers, for instance, who have really, really great stories that I knew about a little bit from my time covering the Oscars at Entertainment Weekly and the Today Show, but this was a chance for me to, you know, delve in. But of course, there were people that were unavailable, people who like Julie Andrews, who just aren't really doing interviews these days, who I would have loved to have talked to, Barbara Streisand, who was writing her own book. So, you know, I wasn't, she wasn't available to talk to me. But I was really delighted with the people that did say yes. And, and I look at the list of 50 people in there, and it's, you know, Julie Roberts, Nicole Kidman, and Rita Moreno, and Michael Douglas and Louis Gossett Jr. and Dustin Hoffman, and then filmmakers like Scorsese and Spielberg and Coppola and Peter Jackson and Barry Jenkins and singers like Elton John and John Legend and Melissa Etheridge. So I'm just, it's like a, it spans 60 years of Oscar history, which was very important to me as a TCM host. I wanted to get as many people's stories in there who were from the classic era. There's six people in the book who were 90 years of age or older. Um, and it was very important to me to be able to include their stories. Did anyone's story surprise you, touch you, stand out to you? Several. Um, Halle Berry was a, a really important interview for me in this book because when she was going through the whole award season 23 years ago for Monsters Ball, I actually was kind of following her every step of the way. I was a writer at Entertainment Weekly. I got to go to Louisiana and watch her film the movie for a couple of days, and I interviewed her on the set. And even then, the crew was talking about, wait until you see this performance that she's giving. And I didn't know her, and we had several really terrific conversations back in 2001 as she was making the movie and as it was coming out and as she was going through the whole award season. I did a cover story on her in the magazine. And then she won the Oscar. And then I never, we never kept in touch. I didn't see her or talk to her again until 22 years later when I was interviewing her for this book. So that was really lovely to kind of have that personal reunion with her. There's a guy named Jeffrey Fletcher, who is the screenwriter of the movie Precious. He became the first black screenwriter ever to win an Oscar. And he told me a very emotional story about how his mom and dad growing up in the American South had to sit in the segregated balcony of the movie theater when they wanted to go to the movies, but they never told him that. 
because they didn't want to discourage him from pursuing his dream of being in movies. But they did tell him years later after he had written a couple of scripts and then he gets nominated for an Oscar. His dad had passed, but he got to take his mom and his mom went from sitting in the segregated balcony to sitting in the front of the auditorium with her son while he wins an Oscar. So that was a really beautiful story. And, and Jeffrey got very emotional uh, telling me that it goes on and on. I mean, Jane Fonda was a very emotional personal interview talking about all the different things that she was going through and the guilt that she felt that she had won an Oscar when her dad, Henry Fonda had not yet won one. Um, that was the big surprise to me of this book. Of course, I knew there were going to be interesting stories and fun you know, meetings of this people, this person running into this person or whatever. But what I didn't expect was the complexity of emotions that people experience and still do experience when they think about these Oscar wins and quite frankly, how emotional a lot of these stories are. And the book, there's a couple chapters that as silly as it sounds, John, they make me cry every time I read them. J.K. Simmons chapter makes me cry every time I read it. There's a guy, Kevin O'Connell, who's a sound mixer who finally won an Oscar after losing 20 times. And his story is very emotional. So that's that was the real kind of surprise. And frankly, the joy of this book was to present all of these stories, which I think are going to hopefully move people. How did you conduct most of these interviews? Phone, Zoom, email? Most of them were Zoom, which was so great, so easy. Um, there were a couple that were on the phone and there were a few that were in person. Clint Eastwood wanted to do it in person. So I was more than happy to go to his office on the Warner Brothers lot. Um, Joel Gray and Lee Grant, two of the other nonagenarians in the book. I interviewed the two of them at their apartments in New York City. Elton John did that one in person at his house in LA. Um, and the interviews ranged from 20 to 90 minutes, depending on how chatty the person was. But I would say the average length was about 40, 45 minute interview. And I had basically like a verbal questionnaire of things that I wanted to ask each person. And then because I do a lot of, a couple things about each person's story, I had specific questions for each one, but it was also very important to me to really be, of course, listening to what they were saying so that if something came up that I didn't know or didn't expect, I could follow down that road a little bit. Um, but uh, that's why you'll see some of the chapters have some of the same headings or questions, but a couple of them have ones that are completely different and unique. There are different sections, the big day, the celebration, the aftermath. Um, I like the celebration stories. I mean, I like the whole book on how some of them felt after getting their Oscar and then going to celebrate. Nicole Kidman felt shy about it, walking around with her Oscar. I, I really enjoyed um, the Sally Field celebration. I think I would choose that one. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, when she walks into the party thinking the party's over. Yeah, she she won. This was for her first Oscar, Norma Ray, and she had to do all the interviews backstage after she won. And she showed up at a big after party at a restaurant and people were leaving. So she went, oh, shoot, I'm, the party's over. I'm getting here too late. So she walks in. She's holding her Oscar. She's looking around for a place to sit. And a man in the corner of the room gets up and says, come sit with us. And she looks over and it was Cary Grant, who she had met one time before years earlier. And she was so excited. She goes and sits down and she realizes that she's sitting with Cary Grant on one side of her and Audrey Hepburn on the next. And she said she turned into Gidget all over again and didn't know what to do or what to say, which I thought was just so charming. And it just shows you, here's this woman who's like just won the Oscar for best actress. She's the, at the height of the height. And yet she's still starstruck by these, you know, 
classic icons. I just love that story. And then Nicole Kidman, I that that just epitomizes why I love her. She had her Oscar in her hand. She was ready to go home. And her people around her said, no, now you have to go to Vanity Fair party and you have to walk around the whole party with your Oscar in your hand. And she said, what? That just sounds gross. <laughs> but she did it. And she felt very uncomfortable about it, but she did it. But that's just classic Nicole Kidman. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would prefer being quiet about it and sitting down with some of my icons. That that's would be my uh, way to end the evening. Right. Um, and how timely that this book came out now that it's Oscar time. Was that the plan? Yes. Uh, that was my publisher's plan. I, they get the credit. Of course, I thought, oh, the book's ready. Why can't we put it out for Christmas time? And I did have a couple of friends say, why can't I buy this book for Christmas? Um, but I do think it, I think it was the right move to put it out a month later. Uh, there's fewer books, new books out. And the fact of the matter is this is the time of the year when I'm out and about doing the Today Show or Access Hollywood or whatever, whoever wants to have me on. So I think it did feel a little bit more organic to have it out now when people are talking about the Oscars. So speaking of the Oscars, the nominations are out. Uh, we'll quickly just run through it. I think, uh, would you say the supporting actor and actress category is pretty much set? Yes, I think Robert Downey Jr. will win for Oppenheimer, one of seven or eight Oscars that that movie will win. And I think it's going to be a really lovely moment, kind of like when Jamie Lee Curtis won last year, of this career-capping experience, someone who is beloved. Robert Downey Jr. got his first nomination 30 years ago. Everyone loves him. He gives great speeches. He's charming. He's eloquent. He's funny. So that's going to be great. And, you know, I love Dave I and Joy Randolph in The Holdovers. When I saw that movie back in June, I got to see it early and I went, I want a whole movie about her. I just loved every moment she was on that screen. When I saw The Color Purple and saw Danielle Brooks, because I was blown away by that performance, I thought, uh-oh, is Davine in trouble? But I think because The Color Purple only got that one nomination, whereas The Holdovers has become more of a sensation overall with the Academy, I think that's going to push Davine Joy Randolph over the top. Deservedly yeah. so. Right. I don't think there's any surprises. Last year, I mean, you weren't with me last year when I did an Oscar thing, and Angela Bassett was, you know, pretty much the front runner, but I just felt there was like that little chance that someone else was going to just come and take it. And Yeah, I'm, I'm wrong a lot, and I'm right occasionally, but I never believed Angela Bassett as an Oscar winner for a Black Panther movie. I just, I just couldn't see the Academy. As great as she is, she's fabulous, everything she does, I could not see the Academy giving that uh, that performance from that superhero sequel an oscar it was for me it would it wasn't up to like a heath ledger no no fault of her own but just the storyline i i had jamie lee curtis winning basically all along um and that was one of the ones i got right but i definitely got more than a few wrong i i i was never on the brendan fraser train i never thought he was going to win and i was could not have been more wrong about that who were you going with last year I had Colin Farrell. I, I had Colin Farrell winning, and I had Austin Butler maybe winning. I just, I for some reason, I just didn't think. I thought the critical reaction to the whale was going to hurt him. I thought the fact that it wasn't a Best Picture nominee, whereas Banshees of Inisherin and Elvis were, was going to was going to hurt. Um, now, am I misremembering? Was the whale nominated for Best Picture? No, no. But Hong, but Hong Chao was nominated. Right. So I, I just, I just didn't think it was going to happen, but. What's wrong on that one? Actor is a two horse race. Sure. I mean, I give the edge to Paul Giamatti right now. Yes. For the holdovers. I think the holdovers could win actor, supporting actress, and original screenplay. 
And then Oppenheimer will win seven, but maybe not Killian Murphy. Although let's see what happens with SAG and BAFTA. Right. Okay. The best actress. I mean, they're pretty much saying what it's down to Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone. Yeah. I think Emma Stone's going to win. I think there's something about that performance. It's so daring. It's showier than Lily Gladstone, who's amazing. And I love Killers of the Flower Moon. It's one of my top five movies of last year. I like to pour things as well. Um, but I, even though, because part of me thought, oh, well, Emma Stone already has an Oscar. Maybe they'll want to give one to Lily Gladstone. But I, I don't know. I just get the sense that Emma Stone is soon to be a two-time winner. Okay, this might be a crazy thought. Could their their votes split and it goes to someone else? No. No? Because, I, I mean, I, I don't think a vote split. I don't think the two of them will split a vote because I think it's different people who are voting for the two of them. Right. I mean, if if Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe were nominated for poor things, then I would be concerned about a vote split. Right. You know, things fans. But I don't think... I, I can't... I don't think Carrie Mulligan... Or I mean, Sandra Huller, I think also is that's my favorite movie of last year, and I don't think Annette Benning has a chance. I just I really do think it's between those two. You see, I think well, we have to wait for the SAG Awards. It wouldn't surprise me, Annette Benning. It really wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, we have to wait for the SAG Awards, but there's something telling me there. I don't know why Annette Benning could just. I would love it because she's always. I mean, uh, Annette Benning's like always the bridesmaid. She's won a SAG Award. She won the SAG Award. Um, I believe she, uh, yeah, American she, she won for American Beauty because Hillary Swank won the gold, the globe. Um, I don't think so. I think the nomination is the win for Nyad. Right. We'll see. And do you think this year's best director and best film go hand in hand? Yes. I think it's Oppenheimer. I don't think there's going to be a split between those two this year. I just think there's something, I don't, I mean, the movie that got the second most nominations is Poor Things. I don't see that winning beyond best actress and maybe something like a production design or so I think Oppenheimer's are going to have a great night, much like everything everywhere all at once did last year. And I think just like last year where the picture and director went to the same movie, I think that'll happen this time too. When you make your predictions on who's going to be nominated, was there one who didn't get nominated who you really thought probably would have and, and didn't? I mean, by, by the time the nominations came around, I thought Margot Robbie was going to get in. I have to be totally honest with you. When I made my first list, of Best Actress Top 5 back in October. I did not have Margot Robbie on it. No slight to her. I just didn't think that performance would get nominated um, because it was very comedic and it's hard to get nominated for a truly comedic performance. But then as the other awards came out, I thought, oh, maybe she is going to get nominated. So by the time the nominations came out late January and she didn't get in, I ended up being surprised. Um, maybe I was a tiny bit surprised that Leonardo DiCaprio also didn't get in there, but I don't know who he would have pushed out. Those five performances in Best Actor are so strong. And they're heroes, all five of them. Right. Whereas Leo is arguably the villain. So maybe that wasn't a big surprise either. Yeah, I just thought Julianne Moore would have been nominated. I'm not sure why the actress branch didn't take to that movie. I mean, the writer's branch liked it. They nominated it for screenplay. Uh, and Charles Melton, too. I, I would have loved to have seen him in there. But, but you're right, particularly Julianne. She had, she had the performance that really stood out to me as well. Right. But, well, the Oscars air live on Sunday, March 10th, starting an hour earlier this year, 7 o'clock. Good. I can go to bed earlier. Go to bed early, right? I think it's from 7 to 
Eastern Time, 4 to 7.30 Pacific Time. But most importantly, I want everyone to go out and get Dave's new book, 50 Oscar Nights, Iconic Stars and Filmmakers on Their Career Defining Wins. Dave, how about another 50 Oscar Nights in the future? Listen, if, if this sells and my publisher wants a, a sequel, I will do 50 more Oscar Nights. We'll just add the word more right more. here in, in some other color. Because there's easily 50 more great people that I can talk to, 50 more great stories to, to get. I was, putting the word, I was putting the word another above the 50, but we could put the word more. Another 50 Oscar Nights. I like that too. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Dave, always a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time for me. It means a lot. Thanks, John. Thanks for your support. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everyone. This has been an Oscar edition of Up Next. <laughs>